Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for, for music, music teachers. This is the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton, and today we're talking about the hypocrite oath. beautiful teachers. I hope you're having a wonderful day so far. If you missed last week's episode, I explained there that normally I do a topic that goes along with either directly or slightly tangentially the article that's being published on the blog on the same day. And the blog is at colourfulkeys.ie if you haven't seen it before. Anyway, so this month is about the blues and a couple of those articles made sense for me to talk about, but Two of them really didn't because they're so practical in nature and they're fantastic to go through. But I think if I do it in an audio format, if we talk about it here on the podcast, I don't think you'll end up using the ideas because it just won't be practical in that way. I think I could make it interesting. (laughs) I could make it feel almost like it's practical, but I don't think you could actually use those ideas without going to the article. So since that was the case, I came up with a duo of episodes that are nothing to do with the blues, but everything to do with teaching. Last week we talked about having a positive attitude to teaching and maintaining that. Today we're talking about the hypocrite oath, and they actually are connected. We'll get to how they're connected in a second. The Hippocrate Oath, obviously I'm playing on the Hippocratic Oath, and I don't mean any disrespect to any doctors out there, but I just decided to be a bit playful with it and come up with a teacher's Hippocrate Oath. And the oath is basically not to be a hypocrite, but I'm going to go through five different areas where you might currently be being a hypocrite, because I certainly have been myself in the past, and I think we all are guilty of this from time to time. And it's the old do as I say, not as I do. I never want to be in the position where that's my only defense to students. I always want to be in a place where I I am doing in some way, I'm representing the values that I expect them to represent as well. So the first one is the connection to last week's episode, and that is you want your students to have a positive attitude, don't you? You want them to come in excited for their lesson, ideally, or at least feeling happy to be there and being pleasant with you and respectful, going into it not expecting to have a bad time. So if you are currently going into your lessons expecting to be in a bad mood because, I don't know, practice has gotten you down, like practice from students, or your pay or anything else has gotten you down, 
Well, you need an attitude correction because you can't expect students to be positive if you are not positive. And I don't mean happy clappy. I just mean going into things with a good attitude. So if you missed last week's episode, you can go back to that to fix that first area where you might be being a hypocrite. The second statement I want us to examine is that you ask your students to try new things. You do, right? Every lesson, pretty much. I mean, it'd be a rare lesson when you don't ask your student to try something new. But as we get older, we're less and less inclined to do new things. And it's good for our health, our mental health and our physical health to keep doing new things. So are you? When was the last time you did something that was truly new to you? Honestly, I think I could do better at this myself. I do new things, but often only in the area of work. Not so much outside of work. Bits and pieces, but I think I could do better at doing truly new things. And I think we could all take inspiration from my mother. (laughs) So my mum, actually her New Year's resolution this year was to do one new thing to her every month. One new thing. Isn't that great? It's so simple, but it's hard to do. And she hasn't been able to follow it every month due to, you know, lockdowns and all the mess. But she's doing her best, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's inspiring. And it truly needs to be new things. Like, she doesn't count it if it's just like, well, I've never grown pansies before, even though I've grown other flowers. She's doing truly new things to her. So when was the last time you did something like that? Went out and tried woodworking or flew a kite for the first time in your life or whatever would be new to you. Are you doing new things regularly enough? It doesn't have to be every day or even every week like we expect our students to. But we need to be pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. We need to be trying different things to see what that feels like. The next area where you might be being a hypocrite is that you ask your students to keep working hard and learning. So I know you keep working, as in you physically work, you do things for a living. I get that you work hard in that way, but I mean working hard as in the way we practice, the way we expect students to practice, the way we expect them to work hard at learning. We ask our students to constantly push their brains. So are you pushing yours? Are you learning new things that cause you to have to put real effort into them? Or are you just sort of actioning? Are you just sort of doing the work that has to get done? I acknowledge that. You have to fill in your spreadsheets or sign up new students, actually teach, create lesson plans. I know you have to do all these things. When was the last time that you worked hard at learning something? And ideally something outside of music, so it doesn't just feel like more work. The next thing you do is you tell students how to practice effectively. At least I hope you do, since you're listening to this podcast. And if you don't have practice strategies in your arsenal, definitely go back and listen to previous episodes way back, but they're still all relevant, so look for the ones about practice. But there's two parts of this where we might be being hypocritical. We might either be not practicing effectively ourselves, or not practicing ourselves, I guess is, is part 1B of that, Or we might not be practicing effectively in the lesson. So are you doing both those things? Do you practice yourself? And when you do practice, do you use practice strategies? Or are you really just playing and calling it practice? 
if you're like a performing musician, you probably don't have issue with this because you have to keep up with the stuff that you need to learn, right? And therefore you use effective practice strategies because you're held accountable to the results. But if you're like me, if you're a teacher who is primarily a teacher and not a church musician or any kind of other performer or anything like that, then we have to hold ourselves accountable to that. And so it can be tempting to sit down and just mess around, just sight read some stuff, just improvise if that's more your style. And I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy your playing, but the same thing I say to students. It's great to just play sometimes, but we have to be honest with ourselves about when we're playing and when we're practicing. And then the second part of that, they're supposed to practice a certain way at home. Do you do it together in the lesson? Do you follow through or do you just tell them? More than just once, do you do it again? So one of the most effective things, and I know it takes time, but it is worth it, is to follow through on the practice expectation at the next lesson. Not just at this one. In lesson one, you do the practice strategy together. You get the student to explain it back to you and tell you how they're going to practice at home. And then the next lesson, they come back and you ask them to play it, practice it in that way right there. Not every time. Sometimes you just want to see the results. But if you really want to drive home the fact that you expect them to follow through on your practice directions or strategy ideas or their own ideas, then you need to follow up on it. Hypocritical area number five is that you lament devices and distractions. This is a common refrain among teachers. Even of my generation, people associate this with maybe generations older than me, but I'm here to tell you, you're not alone. I hear this from people of my age, of younger people. Everyone is complaining about students just wanting to play with their devices and that these students have no attention span because X, Y, Z, because of games, because of YouTube, because of whatever. Maybe you complain that they're so easily distracted that there was time to be bored when you were younger. Well, that may be true. Things are different now. But are you guilty of the same thing? Do you just sit there on your phone scrolling for hours on end when you meant to do something more interesting? I think it's fine to purposefully let yourself get distracted if you do it because you're enjoying it, because you've set aside that time to just relax. That's fine. That's great. But it's when they're just taking over. It's when you're not making the choice that I think we need to re-examine. If we can't have enough self-control to put our phone in a drawer in order to learn something new, to practice our Spanish, to practice the piano, to do whatever it was you wanted to do, then how can we expect students, young students, to be able to do that? Your one thing this week is to look for an area where you are being a hypocrite. What do you expect of your students that you don't actually do yourself? And how can you correct that? Look at one area at a time. I've given you five here, but just examine one and see what you can do to fix the situation. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it didn't feel like any kind of personal attack. As I said, I've done all of these things. I do them all regularly, but I think we need to examine ourselves and hold ourselves accountable as teachers. I'm hypocritical, you probably are too, but we can work to be less so. 
I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode over on Instagram. We're at Colourful Keys. I'd love to chat to you there. And I'll see you back here next week. If you ever get overwhelmed by all the different teacher training options out there, Vibrant Music Teaching is the place for you. We nickname our members Flamingos because they're masters of balancing all of the things and making it all work in a way that isn't overwhelming. We have tools to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. So go to vmt.ninja and sign up today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.